Before I met Jesus, I was full of anger, and I lived my life fully focused on myself at the expense of anyone and anything. So I grew up, and I was raised to know about Jesus, but my identity, my self-worth, uh, my values, and my happiness, I felt, came from the stuff of the world, the things of the world. And although it was a temporary satisfaction, it just was never enough. I realized I was living a sinful life and I was making a lot of bad choices and decisions that uh, brought guilt and regret into my life. And uh, I felt for a long time that I was living in darkness. And uh, I was reminded of my sinful uh, choices every day. Before I met Jesus, I was living in a shroud of envy and I always wanted more. Before I met Jesus, um, any little mistake I did, I really hold on to tightly and it gave me a lot of guilt and isolation and anxiety and depression. I didn't want to be by anybody and I felt like I was just such a burden. Before dedicating my life to Jesus, I gave in to mainstream culture and temptations so that I would be liked. Uh, before I met Jesus, I had a pretty bad porn addiction. I was a slave to pornography and was on the verge of a divorce. Before Christ, I lived my life by my own authority and my own way. Since meeting Christ, I lived my life to know him better and to live life his way. After I met Jesus, he took away my pornography addiction and I now have a healthy and thriving marriage. After I dedicated my life to Jesus, my identity is rooted in Him. I am no longer afraid to stand up for what I believe in. Now that I've chosen a closer walk with Jesus, my identity is in Him alone. And I am who He says I am, and He is enough. Before I wanted to shine so others could see me, and now I want to shine so others can see Jesus through me. Jesus has transformed the way I live my life and has made me want to be a more kind and loving person. And I now consider Jesus in every decision I make in my life. Because of Jesus, I was given the clarity of gratitude and the ability to appreciate the present. Because of Jesus, I'm a new creation who now lives to serve him, freed from the many bondages that grip my life before Christ. After I met Jesus, my eyes and ears were open to other people's stories, and I was able to reach out for help and talk to others and communicate and share the gospel and talk about what Jesus did for me and how he brought light into a world of sin and guilt and shame. And it made me feel like I'm not alone and that everybody goes through things and you're never alone. Amen. I uh, am convinced the greatest proof that Jesus is alive are the lives that have been changed and transformed by him. And that's what's happening here at this church, and hopefully you got a glimpse of that through that video. 
Uh, listen, I want to just give a big happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you. Welcome. So good to be together. If you're watching us online, glad you've joined us that way. And um, if you happen to be new, if you're visiting, maybe you're with family or just checking us out because it's Easter, I really want to just say welcome. I'm glad that you've joined us. My name is Todd. My wife's name is Jillian. Uh, she'll be here next hour. And I have four kids, and uh, it is just a, a privilege to be a part of what God is doing at this church. And really, I'm just, I'm just a normal guy uh, who happened to dress up a little nicer today, all right? But uh, before we get into our sermon, I want, to, um, I want to give you just a heads up on next week. So this week, obviously, amazing week. It's Easter, but next Sunday is also going to be a really exciting week in the life of our church because we're going to do something for the very first time as Silver Creek Church. One of our uh, goals here, our big goals at Silver Creek Church is that out of all the offering that comes in, uh, we want to be able to give 10% of everything that we get that goes out to nonprofit like-minded ministries both here in the area and around the world. Right? And so this year, we are on pace to give at least 5%, which we're really excited about. And next Sunday is going to be a big part of it. Here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday when you come, we're going to introduce you to two partner ministries. One is uh, right in our backyard, and I'll tell you about it next week. One is all the way in Haiti. Both of these ministries are doing some amazing things for Jesus, just like we would want to do here. And what we're going to do is we're going to introduce you to them. We're going to show you the impact that they are having wherever they're at. And then we want you to know that these, both these ministries have significant financial needs because of all that God is doing. And so next Sunday, all the offering that comes in will not go to the operation of this church or the ministry of this church. It'll all go out to these two ministries, split between them to really bless them. And I think it'll be just a blast to give like that together. Um, and so don't miss next week. We're actually calling it, like you see on the screen, Glow Sunday. And the reason is because Glow is our global and local outreach. But at the same time, we want to be the kind of church that radiates and reflects Jesus, not just here in this place, but to ministries and people in our community and all around the world. So don't miss next week. All right, but this week, also very exciting little thing like Jesus rose from the dead. All right, so the resurrection is an amazing thing. But before I start talking about it, I want to just remind you that um, the NFL draft is coming. And uh, just a quick announcement. And you might be surprised that I, I'm talking about the NFL draft right now. But the NFL draft is interesting because for Cleveland Browns fans, it was our hope for a long time. It was all we had, right? But this year, we actually traded away all our picks, so it doesn't really matter. Now, I will say this, though, about the NFL draft. The interesting part about it is that you could draft somebody number one overall, and they amount to nothing in the NFL. They don't really do anything good, which is always what happens when the Browns have the number one pick. Right? However, you could also draft somebody in the sixth round, like Tom Brady, and they become the greatest quarterback ever to play the game. 
That's why the NFL draft is such an interesting thing. So right now you have GMs and all the different NFL franchises that have spent the entire offseason doing all of their homework on these players, interviews, you know, working them out, studying them, calling their references, trying to figure out everything they can know about these players. But even if they know everything, they still can't guarantee that these players are going to translate on the field. And so they have to eventually do something really, really scary. they got to draft them. They have to make the decision to draft them. That always takes a leap of faith because no matter how much in your head you think it's the right player and you feel it in your heart, eventually you have to take a leap of faith and actually draft them onto your team and see how it goes. I think the resurrection of Jesus works in a very similar way. Because no matter how much uh, the resurrection of Jesus could make sense in your head or, or you feel that it's important in your heart, eventually you have to get to a place where you take the leap of faith and actually welcome Jesus into your life. Right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to take a look at a story in the Bible uh, called The Road to Emmaus. The Road to Emmaus, it's a story that took place on the very same day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's found in Luke 24. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire story all the way through so that you can understand the whole picture of this story, and then I'll dive in a little bit more in detail. All right, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, if you have your Bibles, verse 13, or it'll be up on the screen. Listen to this. It says, That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And that while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they're about to tell Jesus about himself, right? Even though they don't know it's Jesus. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they even had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. That's Jesus. But they urged Jesus strongly, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's God's word for us. That is the story of the road to Emmaus, and it's kind of an interesting story, so we're going to dive in. There are three things I want you to see about the resurrection of Jesus right in this story. Here are the three. First, it's rational. Second, it's relevant. And third, it's relational. It's rational, it's relevant, and it's relational. All right, so let's dive in. First, it's rational. Now, uh, if you're here today, you could be, have been invited here, and you could be a skeptic. You could be the kind of person that sees everybody worshiping Jesus and going, hey, everybody needs to settle down a little bit, right? Because you're basing your entire life on that there was some guy who claimed he was God 2,000 years ago and then said he rose from the dead. It just doesn't sound very rational to me. And if you have questions, this is a place we welcome questions. So if you have questions, you should ask them. But what I want to tell you is this, that um, there are so many details in this story that actually make it a rational story to actually believe is true. And one of the, because here are the two options with this story. Either it's made up and fabricated, or it's true. Those, Those are the only two options. And what I want you to see in this kind of first part of my sermon is that it, it wouldn't be made up the way that this story is written. You wouldn't make it up this way. So let me show you a few instances of this. First of all, verses 13 to 15. It says this, That very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that it happened. And while they were talking, and, oh, I'm going to stop there. And so here's, here's, what, uh, here's what's going on here. These guys are making a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus, and Jesus is walking with them. Now, um, I think this is amazing because it's like a, it would take like a half day for them to make this walk. And if you are Jesus, and you are the Son of God who just conquered sin and rose from the dead, one of the, what would be the first thing on your list of things to do? To me, it would never be walking seven miles. with two guys. You wouldn't walk anywhere, right? You just rose from the dead. You should fly back to Emmaus. Or you should teleport yourself with a snap of a finger because, after all, you conquered death. You could do it however you want to do it. It's interesting. I don't think they would, this story would be, you know, it wouldn't say it this way if it wasn't true. Here's another thing about the seven miles. One of the theories that people have that like to disprove the resurrection is uh, that Jesus actually never really died. That he, they buried him alive, and that's why people saw him. And the reason people like that theory is because they they can't really, um, there's another theory about how the disciples stole the body, but the problem is There were too many witnesses that saw Jesus after he was resurrected. And so people can't disprove. There were like 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus. So let's go with this theory, though, for a second, that Jesus didn't really die. So here's here's what they're saying. Jesus was whipped, you know, 
in a really bad way. Open wounds all over him, all over his back. He was whipped all the way to the point of death, and then they stopped. And then what they did is they actually put a cross on him to carry it all the way up to the top of a hill. And then they took him, and they laid him on a cross, and they, they drove spikes through his wrists and then through his feet and his ankles to try to, to nail him to the cross, right? So he's got wounds everywhere. He's, he's, he's got nails inside him, okay? And then they hoist him up. And then he begins to suffocate because that's how crucifixion worked. You would, it was a long, excruciating death that you would eventually just suffocate because you were hanging there. And then once they thought he was dead, what they did is they took a, a, a sword and they stuck it up through his ribcage to make sure that he was dead. Right? Then they buried him in the tomb. Now listen, let's just go with this, this theory that he never really died, right? which is hard to believe in and of itself. Right? They buried him in the tomb after all that he went through. And three days later, he was just a man and he got up and he walked seven miles. Right? hard to really believe that theory kind of begins to go out the window let me give you another detail in this story there uh the women were the first ones to see jesus to see the empty tomb and the reason this is important is because back in this culture a woman a woman's testimony was not credible and i know it's not good it wasn't right but a woman's testimony in the court of law wouldn't stand so if you were making up this story, you would actually never have the women be the ones who saw the empty tomb first. You wouldn't write it that way unless, of course, that's actually the way it really happened. Let me give you one more. Verse 25 says this, And he said to them, this is Jesus talking to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. When Jesus says, oh, foolish one and slow of heart, what he's saying is like, you guys are being idiots right now. Like, how could you be so dense that you are not seeing what is going on right now? You are foolish. You are slow. Now, the reason this is important is because in order for Luke to write this in the Bible, right, these two men would have had to share this story with Luke, right? And if you're sharing this story with somebody and you're making it up, you probably wouldn't be so self-deprecating, right? You wouldn't want to tell the part where Jesus called you a fool. You'd probably make it up more like, yeah, Jesus told us stuff. We didn't get it at first, but then we understood. And that's not what they said. They told it exactly like it happened, which meant they had to admit that Jesus called them silly and foolish, right? You wouldn't make up a story the way this story is made up. Now, let me move to something new now. These two men on the road, they had, uh, they had a lot of questions. They were skeptics in and of themselves. So if you're a skeptic, you've got lots of questions that, that you want answers to. And there are a lot of people who, um, who have all these really difficult questions about, you know, creation and about the Bible and about the way things work. And I get it. There are difficult questions out there. But sometimes you can get to a place where you're like, if I am ever going to believe this stuff, then I, I really need to have all my questions answered. And, and if, you, if that's the way you work, you're going to get paralysis by analysis. Right? Because that, the deal is, here's the deal. You've got to focus on something 
first before you focus on all your hard questions. And here's the question you need to focus on. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he rise from the dead? It's either true or it's made up. It's either true or it's not true. Those are the two options. But if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, then he really is the Son of God. Then everything that was written about him from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is all true for you in your life right now. If he really is risen from the dead, he is the Son. Everything he said, everything he did was exactly true for your life and for my life. It begins to change everything. And here's the other thing. If he rose from the dead, then there are answers to all your other hard questions. There are. Even if you don't get that question answered in this lifetime, there are answers. Because the God of the universe rose from the dead. And you can believe it all. That's where you need to start. Now, if it's not true, then let me tell you this, it's sad. If it's not true, you don't have any other questions to ask. You don't need your other questions answered because it's all pointless. None of it really matters anymore. Look at um, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 to 14. It says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus isn't alive, we can all go home. None of this matters. But for thousands of years now, it's spread like wildfire, and it hasn't gone away. It is rational, but it's also relevant. That's my next point. It's also relevant. Now, there are, um, there are many people that never go to church that would say, I'm not a Christian, that actually have acknowledged that the resurrection of Jesus is rational. They've gotten their heads around it. The problem is the only the, you can't just answer the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? You have to answer another question if this is really going to impact you. And the other question you have to answer is, is this, how is this relevant in my life? How does this actually change me? That's the question that we want to answer. Now, and look, um, what happens in this story is these two men, when they finally saw that the guy they had been walking with for seven straight miles was the resurrected Jesus, look what they said. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? And I, I love this because What's happening is there's a transformation that took place, and it wasn't a transformation of the head, where they, they all of a sudden are like, this is rational now. It was a transformation of the heart. Their hearts were burning. They realized they didn't need answers for their head. They need a solution to the emptiness of their soul, of their heart. And that's when it began to change everything. It is relevant. What I want you to know is this, that it's not enough for the resurrection to make sense in your head and to be rational. It has to begin to penetrate down into your heart because that is the whole point of this resurrection. Um, now listen, this is what uh, verses 19 to 21 say. Um, so they're in this conversation, and he said to them, Jesus said, what things? What are you talking about? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man 
who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Right? I want to focus on that statement. He said he, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Now that word redeem, word redeem is the same word they use for getting someone out of slavery, like paying the price to redeem someone or to buy someone out of bondage or slavery. That's what this means. So when you look at this passage, what they said is we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. Now here's what these two guys thought Jesus was there for. They thought he was going to be a political savior. They thought that he was going to be the one to help Israel get out of the bondage from under the Roman Empire rule because Rome ruled. And so Israel wasn't a sort of slavery to Rome, and they thought Jesus was the guy to lead them out so that their nation would, would be free again. Right? That's what they thought. Here's the interesting thing about these two guys. They were so close, but yet they were so far away. And I, and I, and I want you to see this because here's the deal. Yes, Jesus was bringing redemption, but he was not redeeming a nation he wanted to redeem their very souls. And the crucifixion didn't mean that it was the end of Jesus' life. The crucifixion was the payment for that redemption. You see, they were close, but yet so far away. And I want you to know that this is, this is the case for all of us. It was what Jesus came for is it was a different kind of redemption than we think. It was a different kind of slavery. And here's what I, I want everyone to know is that every single human being has their hearts enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. And by the way, that sounds strong because some people might be like, oh, I'm not in slavery to anything. I'm in control of my life. You know, and I get that. But here's how I want to maybe make this make more sense. Everybody, I think, knows the nature of addiction. Maybe you've had some sort of touch or with, with people who have struggled with addiction, and it's always hard. The nature of addiction is like this, that you, you want an escape for some reason, and so what you do is you find your drug of choice, and you partake in that drug, whatever it is, and it provides the escape that you need. It takes the edge off. But what happens is with drug or, or with addiction in general is that you, you begin to build up a tolerance towards whatever you are addicted to, and so you just want more right and you want more and more because what worked at first doesn't work the same way anymore and what happens is eventually with addiction something snaps and you come to realize that the thing you thought once would give you an escape has now become the thing that has you trapped completely that you are not in control of it it is in control of you and if you've you know, been around somebody that struggled with addiction, you've seen this. It ruins people. It really hurts people and the people around them. And you might be thinking to yourself, too, well, yeah, that's the way addiction works, but thankfully, I'm not addicted to anything right now. But the reason I share this with you is because I think this is the way sin works. It doesn't matter. It, it's not just with drugs and alcohol and pornography and different really strong addictions. It it's actually works this way with a lot of things. It even works this way with good things. Right? 
There are things that we chase after that promise us freedom and happiness. But the more that we pursue them, the more we build up a tolerance and the more we want more. And what we realize in the end is that it's not getting us what we had hoped. It's empty. And all of a sudden, we become a slave to it. And we're not in control anymore. It's in control of us. And it works with all kinds of things. It works with stuff like um, money, right, and power, and, and climbing the corporate ladder and building a good reputation, even the success of your kids. You know, if, if, you, if you are pursuing anything, you're giving your life to anything other than God himself, you can get to this place where you think it's going to give you freedom, but it doesn't deliver. It only leaves you empty. These two men on the road that day didn't realize that what they were after was a trap. They, they thought, man, if I could, we could just have our nation freed from Rome, then life would be a little bit better for our families, and you know maybe we'd be a little wealthier. They, they just wanted their circumstances to change, but that's a trap. Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to redeem your nation. I didn't come to make your circumstances better. I came to redeem your souls. You didn't need me to redeem your nation. You needed a redeemer to buy you back out of the sin that has enslaved you for so long. And then I want you to see here when, uh, when it clicked for these disciples. So they're walking along the road. They finally get there. They sit down at the table. And here's what happens, verses 30 and 31. It says, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And look, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So interesting that the thing that made them recognize Jesus was when Jesus broke bread. Why? Why, why the bread being broken? Why, did, why was that the thing that finally clicked for them? And here's why. If you were here last week, Dom talked about, you know, the, the Last Supper, where Jesus sat with his disciples, and he, he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. It's, it's what we do when we take communion. It's a symbol of what Jesus was going to do, of what Jesus had done for them. And at that moment, with these disciples, it clicked. Oh, we finally get it. Jesus, in order to redeem us, had to die, and he died in our place so that we could be redeemed out of the bondage of our sin, so that we could be back in a relationship with God we were created for. Right? That's the gospel. And I want you to know that that's for all of us, that, that the truth of the matter is we were created to be in a relationship with God forever. Right? We all messed it up. We pursued other things. It's called sin. It has led us down a road to nowhere, to emptiness. And Jesus came to show us that we can once again have a life that is filled with freedom and with joy, but it's not found for pursuing earthly things. It's found by placing your faith in what he has done on the cross, that he has paid for us so that we can be redeemed back to God forever. That's the gospel. It's relevant for every single one of us. But it leads me to my last point, and I'll close with this. And it's not only rational, it's not only relevant, um, but it's relational. It's relational. And I want to go back to something I said in the beginning. You know, if, if I were Jesus and I had just, you know, 
conquered sin and death and hell uh, and then rose from the dead, I'm not sure what I would do, but the first thing I would do would not be go find two random guys on the road and walk by them for seven miles. I don't know what I would do. It seems way too personal for Jesus to do, especially because these two guys weren't even like the main 11. I didn't know, I didn't think they'd be worth the time. But Jesus does it. I don't know what I would do if I would, you know, send some personal assistants out to do the dirty work. You know, I don't know. But Jesus doesn't. He chooses to be extremely personal, to be extremely relational. And I, I, I think this is so powerful. Right, that Jesus has the power and the love to pay for the sins of the entire world. And yet after he did it, he chose to go walk by two men on a road for half a day for seven miles, listening and explaining and talking to them. Right, this, is the, this is the character of your Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's not that, uh, that distant man in the sky that's just sitting up there pressing controls and controlling the universe. He controls the universe, and at the very same time, he wants to know you personally. I, I, I'm amazed by this. But when he was dying on a cross, when he was suffering, he was thinking of both the entire world collectively, and he was also thinking of you personally. Right? That is our Lord and Savior, and it's hard to wrap your mind around, but it is unbelievable. I want to close by telling you a little bit about my story um, because I had kind of my own, I feel like, road to Emmaus story. And I think we all, we're all walking the road to Emmaus. Um, my story is not the story of, like, the guy who was strung out on drugs for a long time and then got delivered out of that miraculously. We have those stories, and those are great stories. But my story is more of the um, kind of well-mannered, nice, suburban, middle-class kid whose parents took him to church every week since he was born. Sounds crazy, huh? That's my story. But here's, here's, here's what happened. I didn't get it. I knew all the answers in my head, but when I got to high school, I was like a freshman in high school, and I had somebody come up to me, and they said, listen, what you need to know, Todd, is that Christianity is not a religion. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship. And there was something that clicked for me that day because what I realized that it wasn't just that Jesus paid for the redemption of my sins, but it was that he did that so he could personally know me, so he could walk with me, so that he could talk to me, so that I could talk to him. Like, he didn't just, like, generally love the world. He loved me, and it blew my mind. And, and I feel like I had the same when I was reading the story, I feel like I had the same realization as these guys. What I realized is that I had been walking this road for a long time, and I didn't know what I was missing, and all the while, Jesus had been walking right there next to me. And finally, I opened my eyes, and it began to change everything for me. We are all on the road to Emmaus. We are all walking a journey. And I don't know what your journey is like right now, you, you might have a journey right now where you are, you're going, things are harder than they've ever been. And I'm more confused by this world and by life than I've ever been before, and I'm grasping for answers and solutions. You might be somebody who's saying, you know, 
I feel like I've been pursuing this thing that I thought would make me happy for a long time, and it just isn't working. Right? Or I have these questions that just roll around in my mind all the time, and I lay in, in, in bed at night, and I, I'm just thinking something's got to change. Something's got, there's got to be something missing. There's got to be more to this life. And what I want you to know is this, that those voices and those things that are happening in your life could be Jesus walking beside you on your road to Emmaus. And all you need to do is open your eyes and know that there's a better way. That there is a way that can give you life and freedom and joy to free you from your sin forever and give you life beyond the grave. That's why the resurrection is so powerful. It's, it's rational. It's relevant. And it's very relational. So listen, if you're here today, I want you to know this, that you can't just make, you know, make Jesus' resurrection make sense in your head or just feel it in your heart. No matter how much you do that, eventually, like the draft, you've got to take the leap to bring him into your life. And for all you have to do for that is to, is to have faith and believe that it's personal to you. Father, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done through Jesus. For this resurrection means everything to us. And Lord, I pray today that you would uh, move in the hearts of those who are here. I pray that there would be hearts burning right now. Burning to long to have a, a relationship with you that can last for meaning. And I pray that they would find it in Jesus. Lord, I ask now that if there's anybody in here that needs to start that relationship, that needs to take that leap, that they would take it today, Easter 2023. Father, we pray now that we could worship you for all that you've done and all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.